0: There are so many parts to digital transformation, and there's no shortage of good ideas and tools for how to approach it. Software quality is a big piece of the puzzle, as organizations try to create reliable test suites without sacrificing speed of delivery.
1: Naturally, test automation seems like one way to have your cake and eat it too. But flaky tests and suboptimal test environments can stop these efforts in their tracks. It takes a deep level of planning, culture change, and understanding of business needs, to develop and release quality software. I'm David Carty, site editor of Search Software Quality. And I'm Ryan Black, assistant site editor of
0: Search Software Quality. This is the Test and Release podcast where we speak with experts about software development and testing topics. In this episode, we spoke with Gary Groover. Groover runs his own consultancy, Groover Consulting, and is the author of the book, Engineering the Digital Transformation. As we discussed with Groover, when an organization sets out to change and improve the processes of a deployment pipeline, You should try to quantify all the aspects it can. Software must not only meet the end user's expectations, but also those of the business side.
1: That requires clearly communicated and readily available business intent metrics that feed into continuous improvement. After all, many developers want to build it once, the right way, and then move on to the next project. Groover also talked about the various challenges his clients run into, which is why there's no one-size-fits-all solution. First, where your book is all about digital transformation, which is a a big nebulous effort, um, can you tell me maybe three key areas where you see organizations struggle with digital transformation?
2: You know, when I think of digital transformation, a lot of it is, yeah, they're trying to transform digitally, but you're also trying to transform how you do things digitally. And this isn't so much about how, what, and how to—it isn't about what to transform— it's more about how do you get more effective in terms of transformation, or how do you get more effective in terms of software development and delivery, because there's no shortage of good ideas. There's just really a shortage of people being able to get things done fast enough, quick enough, efficiently enough for the dollars they have, and a lot of organizations struggle with that. And there's a lot of different ideas out there from the Agile community, the DevOps community that say, do these practices and you'll get better. And what I've found is I'm somewhat unique in the industry in that I'm a thought leader, but I also, when I work with organizations, I don't work with them unless I can stay with them through the journey and help coach them along the way. And that gives me a couple of advantages. One is I don't know exactly what to tell them up front until they start running into problems. And two is I get to learn from them along the journey. So I get to see what's working and what's not working. And what I found is if people just go off and do what works for somebody else without understanding their unique challenges and issues, they're not really going to see the benefits that are possible and they're going to lose momentum in transforming how they do software development and delivery. This is trying to provide a systematic approach for going in and analyzing your unique challenges being able to prioritize it, being able to get everybody in your organization on the same page so that you know the types of things that you want to go fix, and then being able to measure the impact that a change has so you can have momentum and continue to get people to commit resources to improving over time.
0: So you mentioned uh, your work with clients, uh, and uh, I had a question to that effect. I was uh, wondering what sort of common software quality mistakes were you seeing among your clients, and how did that inform the, the re- realization that you came to, the one that was uh, a much more systematic approach to software quality was necessary?
2: I saw a lot of people struggling, and, you know, if you look at just the software quality vector of this, which is a pretty thin slice of the book, what I see is, People did test automation, but they really hadn't used it to transform how they did work. And I, I think the the really classic example of this is um, Goldratt Beyond the Goal does a really good example, and he pulls it out of one of the first things computer did was MRP systems, which is manu- manufacturing resource planning. And it used to be in a factory that you'd have, you know, a factory of 300 people would have 40 people just to do the planning, which is what parts should we order? When should we build stuff? When should we ship stuff based on demand and inventory and everything else? And when computers came out in the eighties, that was one of the first applications and Black and Decker automated that whole process and enabled them to run it on a more frequent basis. And they ran with huge amounts of lower inventory they had better availability, and they, they were just dominating the market. And so everybody else went out and started doing MRP systems, and they didn't see any benefits. And what you ran into is over time, what you found when Goldrat did the research was there was an inherent rule in the system that hadn't been fundamentally changed. And that was everybody ran in the old systems. They ran the MRP planning once a month because it was expensive and hard and took a lot of time. When they automated, it was no longer expensive and hard and didn't take a lot of time, but they had that inherent rule that they just didn't run it very often. So as organizations have started automating their their testing, what you found is they still wait until they get to some phase of the development process, call it development complete or something else, and then they put all the code together and they start inspecting in quality. So what they've done is they automated basically what MRT did, MRP did is it automated the planning process. They've automated the testing process. But what Black & Decker did differently is they ran it several times a week instead of once a month. So they took that new capability to fundamentally transform how the organization works. And what I found is a lot of organizations really don't take that step of fundamentally changing how their organization works with the test automation. They're still running test automations the same way they did with the same rules that I wait and do it later. And the big change that we need to do is we need to start shifting to how do we use that new capability to completely transform how an organization works like Black and Decker did instead of just automating the manual process to make that process more efficient. and. That's one of the biggest mistakes that I see, and then the, the other challenge is when people start to do that and start to build in quality, what I find is they do that before they have a stable quality signal, and it just creates a lot of chaos in the process.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's an interesting idea. You mentioned the idea of a of a quality signal in the book and, and developing a stable quality signal. Could you explain a little bit more about what that means and, and some of the inherent challenges that go into that?
2: Yeah, when you run your test automation, a lot of times you will find stuff that's not a code issue. You will run into an environment problem. You will run into a deployment problem. You'll run into a test problem. You'll run into all sorts of other things. And if you expect people to be responding to this signal, but you have a bunch of things that are outside of their control, they'll find that they're wasting time going through the whole triage debugging process and they can't keep up and they can't do it. And the other thing is when you really start to build in quality, you're going to be running your testing 10 times, 100 times more frequently than you do when it's manual. And if you have any flakiness in that system, you're just going to get bogged down in in false failures. And, and, and I, I've seen a lot of organizations try this. They look at trying to do DevOps. They say, well, we're going to focus on red bills. We're going to do continuous integration. And as they start to do that, if they haven't taken the time to really ensure that they have a stable quality signal, their transformation is just going to bog down. People are going to give up. They're, it's no longer worth trying, and they really need to they need to back up and change and Having watched a bunch of different organizations run into this for different reasons, one of the real motivations for writing the book is saying, no, no, we need to step back and take a much more systematic approach and ensure that we have a stable quality signal. So the first step is, if you've got a good set of automated tests, you've written some, you put some together, pick a spot on your deployment pipeline, ideally as far to the right, as close to production as you can, that you have control over influence that you could change it. And, you know, for some people it's a small team that may be your build system, but for leaders or organizations that really have control over the broader system, the further right you look and the further you understand the issues that are hitting there, the more impact and improvement it has because of more people that have code in those environments that are trying to affect the
0: When you're saying uh, work as far to the right as possible, are you, uh, are you talking about shift-right testing then?
2: Well, I'm talking about the deployment pipeline. So the framework that I really think about is the deployment pipeline is how we check in code, how we build the code, how we create an environment, how we deploy it into that environment, how do we run a test, and how do we make sure it's ready for release. That kind of Jez Humble and David Farley came out with that in their continuous delivery book a decade or so ago. And it's that framework that I think is our how we manufacture software, and and we need to make that visible. So if you look at some of the earlier chapters of the book, the first step is really making that factory visible. And and it's the idea of looking at where you're – the steps, all the different environments that you go through and all the different steps that you go through, from code being written to being ready for production – and if you go further to the right on that, you tend to have more code in it. You tend to have more people influenced because you've got a bunch of different subcomponents that get aggregated together in that if you look at the front part of the book. So it, it, when I say to the right, I'm saying the closer you get to production, the more people are impacted by instability in that system. Ideally, you really wanna shift left with your testing because you wanna find the defects as close to the source as you possibly can that has the fewest number of commits. Does that help clarify that?
0: It does, yeah, thank you. I was wondering if you could also lay out maybe how a team could go about changing its processes, something, something you mentioned is of great importance in the approach you're advocating for, but also go about ensuring a stable de- deployment pipeline.
2: Yeah. So, so take an environment and take your automated test, run them 20 times in a row, and stick the results in a database. What i found is that you would expect if you run the same test in the same environment on the same code 20 times in a row, you'd always get the same answer. The reality that I see in most organizations is you have some tests that are always passed. You'll have some tests that are always failed because there's a defect in the system. But more and more organizations have tests that will toggle between pass and fail. And if you've got those in the system and you're expecting developers to respond to it, they're going to get frustrated and give up because it's a flaky signal. They can't trust it. They can't rely on it. And it's not related to the code that they checked in. Once you've segmented and take those tests and set them aside until you get reworked, set the side Set aside the tests that are always failing and set them aside until you get the defect fixed. Now take your tests that you know pass 20 times in a row and now run them in random order and see if you can get them to pass. And what happens is frequently those tests, when you do them in random order, won't pass because there's some sort of order dependency. A test run before it will set up the data in some way that the next test is dependent upon. And if you're going to run a bunch of automated tests in parallel, you can't have that order dependency. So run those 20 times in a row and then take the ones that are flaky, that toggle between pass and fail, and move those into the stack of flaky tests to be reworked later. And then take the tests that are running, that are always passing the path 20 times in a row. And now we're going to take those, tests, and we're going to run them in parallel against the environment and put that environment under load. And what you frequently find is that organizations that have been doing testing or manual testing against these environments, when you load them up with a lot of test automation all at once, is they can't handle the load. There may be the environment's size too small. It may be you've got a flaky F5 in the system. You may have a flaky connection to your build server or your Git repository or something like that that causes that not to go well and, and for your test to time out. And, if, and and take the time to get that to root cause. Drive that into resolution. Drive the, any of those issues out of the system because if you expect people to respond to it, and you've got flakiness in the system, people are going to give up. It's going to disengage. It's going to go bad. Now that you've got that solved, you've got your environment to where it can handle a load, the next thing that we want to do is make sure that our deployment process is stable. So do a deployment, run all your tests, keep those results, do another deployment, and this is in the same environment, and we're just testing our deployment process to see if, we can repeatedly and reliably deploy the code consistently. If you if you have a problem there, then you need to automate your deployment process. You need to clean it up. You need to work on that stability. And then we're going to do the same thing for create an environment. We're going to create an environment. We're going to deploy the code. We're going to run our automated test. And when you get that stable, then you know you've got a stable quality signal, and you can use that to really start changing how your business responds. But it would be like if the MR people wanted to fundamentally transform and start running their tests on an ongoing basis or running their planning multiple times a week, but you know the planning was inaccurate, they, it wouldn't be very effective. So before we can fundamentally change anything about how we do software development delivery, one of the biggest changes is this ability to build in quality. But you can't expect your developers to build in quality if you've got a flaky signal.
1: Yeah, and I I wanted to uh, take that to the next step, too, and talk about uh, continuous improvement, which is another element of quality. Uh, Later on in your book, you say there's a need for the industry to create a culture of continuous improvement for both the process and the product. Um, How can organizations carve out time and mental energy to focus on continuous improvement, especially as so many of these organizations feel uh, the pace of development quicken?
2: This is probably one of the biggest challenges out there because what happens in manufacturing is you have one organization that's responsible for designing the product and another organization that's responsible for building in quality and optimizing throughput and flow through the organization. So the manufacturing part of the organization is really focused on continuous improvement and the development part of the organization is focused on building it once and doing it right once. In software, the way we manufacture the product is has a huge impact on the productivity of our development because we're every time we make a code change, we're running through that manufacturing process. And if we can keep the code close to releasable, we can become much more productive. To do that, we really need to be able to show people that if we spend time sharpening the saw, we're going to be able to get more done in the long run because what you're doing is you're asking people to compete with features with ideas for process improvement. And, and that's really hard for most organizations, and I tend to start with the leaders of the organization, and we map out and we go through all the, all the steps defined in the book of engineering the digital transformation, truly really make sure that we're making our software development and our manufacturing process very visible. We're putting metrics on it that highlight and quantify the waste in the system. And then when we make a change to make an improvement, we have the metric that we can quantify and show that says, you know, David, this was really great. You gave me some money to invest in this and let me show you what I got out of it. And Mm -hmm. then software We tend to do things like we'll go do Agile or we'll go do DevOps, and we really don't have a way of going back to the people that we talked into helping us make that investment and showing them the return from that investment. And if we're going to continue to get people to do it, first we need to make the waste visible and show them how, if we eliminate this waste, they'll get more of what they want in the long term, which is business value. And you, if you can't show them that and you can't quantify it, that it's going to be really hard to get people to commit to it unless you just happen to have a leader that's gone to an agile conference or gone to a DevOps conference and came back and said, we're going to go do DevOps or we're going to go do this. I think what I find most effective is you really need to get it quantified down to, no, here's the stuff that's getting in our way and here's how it's slowing us down. It's quantified with metrics. We can show exactly where it is, and we can prioritize the improvements that will have the biggest impact on our business and free up the most capacity for doing improvements. Then once we've done that, you've committed to let me make the change. I need to be able to go back to you and show you what I got out of it and why the organization is better. And that's not something that we do very well in software because it's kind of hard to
1: measure. Right, and this is another idea that you get into in your book, uh, just how important it is to match uh, applications to business intent. Um, So, you know, what do you think is the best way for the business side to uh, better equip developers with information and metrics to kind of uh, achieve the goals?
2: When you look at that, that, so that's continuous improvement in the product. So the, the, the interesting thing about software is, in manufacturing, you kind of release a product, and that's a product, and then you try to manufacture it efficiently. Software has got this unique capability where you can constantly learn and evolve with the product and change it, and you don't have to worry about uh, finished good inventory or channel inventory or changing the product in the field because everybody can update, and that's very unique. So we talked a little bit about how do you change the process and improve the process, But when you look at the product, there's an opportunity to do that. And, you know, Jez Humble and Joanne and um, Brian came out with the Lean Enterprise book a while ago that said really what we need to be doing with the product is we need to be thinking about testing hypotheses about what will make it more effective and what will make it more productive in the business. And what we find in a lot of organizations is the organization is just responding to a marketing person's or a high-level executive's idea of these are the features we got to do and let's go do them. And what we found in the industry is a lot of times 50% of what we developed is either never used or doesn't mean it's business intent. So if we're going to do continuous improvement of the product, we need to be much clearer about what the business intent of the product is and we need to do a much better job of measuring which features are being used and which are meeting the business intent. We need to get much quicker at iterations and feedback on that. And frequently what we do is we'll do large releases with what the marketing or organization asked for, and we'll never go back and measure whether it had that impact. In manufacturing, they've come up with this product. It's called the A3 product chart for process improvement. And what I was hoping to put out there for people to start using is let's try to bring some of that systematic rigor to how we do product improvement for software. And let's get a chart where we capture all the business intent metrics, because what we're trying to do is, is not just engage a couple of thought leaders at the top to figure out how to continuously improve the product, but we're trying to engage the entire organization and thinking about how they could continually improve the product and the process. And to do that, we need to make it much more visible about what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. You know, if we're, if, if we're a website and we've got a, a search team that's trying to find you the best product that you want to buy you probably want to have the ability to sort of say, of the people that come to the website, how many people make it all the way to checkout? Because that's an indicator that they're finding what they need. You know, maybe it's the number of steps that it took them to get there. What are those types of metrics that you want to track that you're really trying to accomplish with your software? And the more you can make that visible to everybody in the organization and you can track not just did we deliver this new capability but did it have an impact on the business metric or the business intent that we're trying to accomplish as an organization? Because we're not just trying to deliver as many features as we can. We're trying to deliver business value and we need a metric to that's visible in the organization that we're tracking to see if we've had that impact. And we need to figure out whether people are even using the metrics that were the new features that we're putting out there. Not a lot of people measure those things. And I think, if we're gonna engage the entire organization in continuous improvement, we need to we need to make that visible.
0: I see. I did wanna circle back and ask you about test environments real quick. So if you if you could recommend a few best practices for test environments, particularly to help organizations create stable and optimal ones, what would be kind of some of the, you know, broad level best practices you'd recommend?
2: I would say your challenges are going to be unique to your applications and your deployment pipeline. Run the experiments that I talked to about getting to a stable quality signal and address the issues that are keeping you from moving forward. I don't you know I don't like a, gee, everybody does this and it's going to fix their problems. You need you need to go through and do that. And you know a lot of organizations I spend off to run the experiment can't even run them because it's so hard to set up their data and and one of the things that you'll find is as you go do that process and work through it is you're going to run into uh, you're going to run into unique challenges that are very specific to you that are going to take a while to resolve and deal with those specific issues and that's really why i came up with that test because it forces you to fix things and in a lot of cases, you'll find it's hard to set up the data for your test. In a lot of cases, you'll find that if you've got a large, tightly coupled system, there's a, there's a, there's a backend system that some organization outside of your group is responsible for that is unstable, or maybe they're deploying code while you're doing it, and, and you need to create service virtualization to isolate you from that instability. Or there's so many different things that are, unique that what I've come to the conclusion of instead of saying you should go do these things for your environments, I would say go down and run that experiment and run it over and over again until you can get it solved. And, you know, if you look at the book, there's a case study of a, you know, large healthcare provider in the United States who went through that process and did it. And it took them two to three years to get there. But at the end of it, when Ted got to the end of it, he's like, wow, this is so cool. I fundamentally changed how my whole software development process works. Now that I have this signal, I can make sure everybody's accountable. They can check in code. We can move so much faster. And the journey is to get people to realize that and feel that because until you've worked in an environment like this, you can't ever imagine it working. Once you've worked in an environment like this, you can't imagine working a different way. And it's just fun for me to see when people finally get there, the light bulbs go off. And it's uh, it, it, it fundamentally changed things that we did at HP so dramatically. It forced me to write my first book and got me on this path. And it was such a breakthrough for me that I spent the rest of my time in my career trying to help others avoid the mistakes I get and get there as quick as I can. And that's why I do podcasts. That's why I do webinars. That's why I write books is help others realize the breakthroughs that are possible.
1: Really interesting stuff, Gary. Well, we thank you for joining us today.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having
1: me. Good talking to you, Gary. Please be sure to check out SearchSoftwareQuality.com for more articles on application development, testing, and management topics. And follow us on Twitter, at SoftwareTestTT.